Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley, and I am the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Super Psyched is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. What does it take to be a great employee? And if we zoom out, what are the practices that companies can use to help employees flourish? These and other questions are answered by my expert human resources guest, who is the ideal person to address them. Lissa Minkin is VP of People and Workplace at Tile. She has played instrumental roles at several companies, including eBay and Facebook, and helped the growth of every company she's touched. Lissa is passionate about her work, a great implementer and sustainer of healthy corporate culture, and fiercely loyal to the people she serves. Also, full disclosure, I'm a shareholder at Tile where Lissa now works, and that had nothing to do with my selecting her as a guest. I chose her because I have known her work for well over a decade and have been a fan of the healthy practices she promotes in the workplace, and I believe listeners will benefit. So join Lissa and me as we have a lively and user-friendly conversation about being happier at work. Lissa Minkin, welcome to Super Psyched. Thank you, Adam. It's so awesome to be here. I love your show. Oh, I'm so glad. And I love your work. One of the great things about getting to interview you in particular is there is no book, no TED Talk. People who work with you know how amazing you are. And now people who listen to this show will too. And I'm so glad that that will be happening. I've worked alongside you. I've seen what you can do. And I've heard people talk about your work. You've been engaged in some of the most fundamental formations of companies in Silicon Valley, helping them grow. And you're currently working on a really great project that's so exciting that I mentioned in the intro. Anyway, I'm just delighted that you're going to be sharing your wisdom with my listeners. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a total thrill to be here. Lisa, first off, just an easy one. How did you decide to go into HR? You know, it's funny. I had started my career in marketing and I wasn't really feeling it. Uh, And one day I was interviewing for a job at Williams-Sonoma, Inc., you know, in San Francisco. And the woman who was sitting across the table from me, I really liked the way she was talking to me. And I really liked how we were engaging. And I said to her, what do you do? (laughs) You know, tell me about your job. And she literally like took a napkin. It's the old, you know, right on a napkin trick. Right. And she said, here's what HR is and here's what HR is about. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And as it turned out, you know, they didn't have a job for me in marketing, but she called me a few months later and said, hey, I have a job for you to be my assistant if you're interested and you want to fly out from New York to California and take the job, then it's yours. And I was like, really? And so I packed up my stuff and left New York City. And that was my first job in HR. And I haven't looked back in 25 years. That's amazing. And what do you love most about being in HR? Um, What I love the most about it really for me is being an integral part of driving the business, but doing it in a way where it's all about people and talent. And how do you get the most out of people um, in a really positive way? Like my favorite thing is to really understand what drives someone, you know, what their strengths are, what gives them energy and then be able to apply that to make the company successful. Because if we can do that, it raises all boats, right? Like people are proud and happy of what they've done. You know, they're energized about where their career is going. And then we also make a great company that hopefully is delivering a wonderful product and we create more employment for other people. I mean, it's, it's just my favorite thing. And I, and I, I love partnering with my CEO too. That's, that's also wonderful. So having obviously a really great partner Mm-hmm. kind of makes or breaks the entire experience. One of the things yes. I've heard, one of the axioms that's kind of circulating, at least in the Valley, and I imagine throughout the world, is it's almost less about the company for whom you work and more about the people with whom you work, and especially the boss that yeah. dictates the quality of the ride. Is that consistent with your experience? It's so important. I mean, and, and I think everybody's heard the old adage, you know, people don't leave companies, you know, they leave managers. <laughs> and that's very true. And I think it's, it's the same for when you're looking at leadership. You know, if you're not grokking 
and totally. not aligned, you know, with your leader um, or the whole leadership team, you don't feel good about the way they lead. It's very hard to stay. Yeah. Now, I, I also care a lot about what the company does. You know, I care a lot about the values that the company has. I care a lot about the impact that the company is having on the world. So all of those things matter to me too. But um, that's a huge thing. You know, if you can't believe in the leadership, it's impossible to stay in my mind. You know, I want to just go back to what you said earlier about getting the most out of people. Somebody could hear it with a Machiavellian ear. And what I heard instead of it being Machiavellian and, and somehow dark, it was getting the most out of people and giving them the opportunity to really express their musculature in a vocational manner so that they feel empowered at their jobs and that all the boats rise. And I think that's the spirit with which you were sharing that. Is that consistent? One, absolutely. And, and thank you for clarifying that. That's important. Um, the, the way that we think about people at Tile, I mean, we, we want very highly engaged people, right? And we actually have something that I have put together that we call the Tile Culture Stack. So mm -hmm. it's just like a tech stack. We have a culture stack. And, you know, and this is the way that we've actually put together how we make sure that people are feeling as engaged as possible. And just to let you know what that's about, I mean, the first two things, the foundation is psychological safety, right? So we want to make sure that people are feeling like they can be their authentic self. We don't want them to try to pretend to be somebody that they aren't. You know, we want them to be who they are. And then the other side of that coin is empathic leadership and making sure that our leaders are trained to have empathy for the people that are sitting across the table from them and that their, their goals should be around how to help those people succeed as opposed to, to having it be about themselves, right? So if they help their team succeed, then they're going to succeed. The company's going to succeed. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's really how we roll. And, you know, then the other thing that we talk about, you know, our company values are very important to us. Our manager behaviors are very important to us. And there's really two sides of that coin, which is what we expect from managers and then also giving individual contributors permission to say, hey, manager, I'm not getting what I need from you, you know, so, so let's, let's change that, right? Because that's going to help people be successful. And then ultimately aligning their strengths, you know, both for impact for the company, which is only going to help them to grow and grow their career, and then impact against where they, they want to develop their, their strengths even further, because that's where they're going to grow the fastest. And if we do all of that together in our culture stack, then we should get highly engaged people. And we've been working on this for about two and a half years, and we've moved employee engagement almost 40 points um, over the past two and a half years into a very healthy zone um, of about 78%. And we also have 91% of our employees that say Tile is a great place to work. So I, I feel really good that we're, we're doing the right things. Incredible. So you've basically reduced attrition, increased engagement through these measurements by right. psychological safety, as you call it, which I think is perfect and empathic right. leadership. And that flies in the face of kind of old school wisdom of lead by fear. Oh, and God, yes. right. And so some people might be critical and say, well, they might become too complacent. Meanwhile, you found something that contradicts that flies in the face of that idea. Um, and you've actually measured it. Can you tell me about the measures? Sure, sure. So we look at three things, really. You know, we're, we're looking at, you know, are people willing to give discretionary effort, right? Um, the other thing is, you know, are people willing to stay? You know, do they want to stay and help us drive the mission of, of the company? And third, you know, are they willing to recommend the company to other people? Mm. So, so those are the things that, that we look at. And that, that essentially is what makes our engagement score. And then there's a bunch of other factors that we look at. Um, and all of those factors, we have probably about 50 questions that go under these, these different factors. And all of those then help us to figure out, you know, what do we need to pull? What levers do we need to pull to be able to drive engagement further? So uh, we do this every six months. Um, I use it to help me to design my people strategy, you know, for the year um, in all aspects and just really make sure that the kind of environment that we're creating the kind of employee experience that we have, you know, is one that people are going to thrive in. And to your point about like people getting complacent, this is what gives them energy. Yeah, I mean, totally. you know, the more that we can say to them, like, I know who you are, I understand you, you know, I want to help you succeed, you know, on your terms and align that with what impacts the company as well as grows their career. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a huge win. So uh, in, in everything you say conforms with a lot of the research that comes out of positive psychology. I've often yeah. thought of HR as being applied psychology. I mean, you really see, does this work or does this not work? And mm -hmm. sure, 
the stick can be motivating for a time. And it seems that the results are over the long term, it really doesn't work and that the carrot alone doesn't work. It seems that intrinsic love of a thing is the big thing. Uh, One of the things that Dan Pink talks about in his great book called Drive is that There is a, you know what That's I'm talking exactly, about. You know what? I had dancing in my mind <laughs> when I was, when I was talking about that, you know, his, you know, purpose and mastery, you know, his, his whole, his whole deal there is exactly what I, what I had in my mind. That's yes. so cool. And his basic yep. statement is there is a difference between what science knows and what corporate corporations do. And you are actually doing what science knows. And right. I love the idea of discretionary effort, retention, and recommendations from employees. What could be bigger endorsements than retention and recommendations? It's almost like right. saying, hey, listen, I've got, I've got somebody I'd like you to meet for you know, dating purposes. Right. Uh, I mean, you don't do that unless you really like the person. And if you really like the company and you say to a friend, hey, it's an awesome place to work. I think that's a really important measure. I want you to also just kind of further unpack the idea of discretionary effort. What does that mean? Yeah. So that means that you're willing to do more. You know, you're willing to kind of go the extra mile. And one of the ways that we make sure that people can do that is, you know, make sure that they understand what their strengths are. And when I say strengths, I don't mean like necessarily what you're good at, but what gives you energy. And so how do you know if something is a strength? You know, you, before you do it, you're excited about it. You're looking forward to it. You know, when you're doing it, you're in flow and you kind of forget time. And then when you're done, you know, you, you feel fulfilled and you can't wait to do it again. So if, if you're having that happen to you, right, when you're working, you're going to be psyched. And of course, you're going to give more energy to that because you're really enjoying it and you're having this sense of fulfillment. So what we try to do at Tile, and this is tough. But we want to get at least 70% of everybody's job aligned with their strengths so they can feel that way every day, you know, and wake up feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to go in and solve this problem. And what's interesting is most people in the United States, maybe 11% of their job is, is things that, that make them feel energy. So imagine like 89% of your day, you're feeling like, oh my God, I can't wait until this is over. So we, you know, we really don't want that you know, and we really want the other side of it. So, you know, when people first join, that's the first thing I talk about is, you know, let's talk about your strengths and let's make sure you have a plan to talk to your manager about your strengths and let's get your strengths aligned for impact and aligned for growth. I'm so blown away. My dissertation was all on positive psychology. Mm -hmm. Everything that you're unpacking for me right now is applied positive psychology. You are actually doing it. There's so many companies that I've been exposed to who kind of talk the talk, but definitely do not walk the walk. I almost feel like we need to get like an entire team of Netflix documentarians to just take over your, your company and, 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 and document like what you're doing as the playbook for, for corporate excellence. I, I actually cannot believe what I'm hearing from you, Lisa. If I get hair, makeup, and wardrobe. <laughs> what the listener cannot see is I'm actually floored as you're, as you're sharing this t- because this is, if, if you'd hired me to be your consultant, this is exactly what I would tell you to do. And mm-hmm. you're doing it. This mm-hmm. is th- incredible. Um, just a, a bit of a pivot from the positive to the challenges. I'm wondering, sure. you know, people challenges, that's also something mm-hmm. that comes across your, your desk. And I'm wondering, particularly in Silicon Valley, since you've worked in various places, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what are the most relevant and perhaps perhaps uh, biggest challenges to working in a Silicon Valley-based company? Well, if you look at this year, I mean, it's been a crazy year, uh, to say the least, you know, with everything that's gone on with COVID and shelter in place, and then, you know, the um, social justice concerns that Mm. we've had, and, you know, now the fires. And, you know, um, all of this has really ended up on my desk. Um, And I... I mean, I see it as a privilege in some ways, really, um, because it just allows us to, to really be our best as a company, um, you know, by making sure that we're taking these things seriously, because obviously our employees are humans, you know, they're having to deal with all of these issues every day, it's impacting their lives, you know, you can't expect people to just turn this stuff off, you know, when they come to work. So, you know, we made a very concerted effort, you know, first with COVID and shelter in place, you know, to make sure that our employees felt very, very supported, you know, during this entire time. And, 
you know, we were care- like back in January, you know, we were carefully watching, you know, what was happening in the news and, you know, what, what was happening um, in terms of where the disease was spreading. And even when it was kind of getting poo-pooed in this country, we were taking it super seriously. And, you know, and making sure like, because we have, we have employees that work in China and then come back to the United States. We do manufacturing there. Um, and so when we had employees that were going back and forth, we'd make sure they quarantined for two weeks in January, you know, before ever, be, you know, even before March came. Um, so that was very important. And then finally, when we did go to shelter in place, um, you know, we immediately made sure that, you know, we had all of our managers up to speed, um, that, you know, we helped them to understand what they needed to do to support employees. We had our Tile Flex program in place, which basically was how we could flip a switch and make it possible for everybody to work from home. You know, so we're really ready to do that. And then now we've been providing more help for people around parenting and taking care of elders um, because they're trying to like homeschool, as we all know, Mm -hmm. um, and take care of, you know, elderly people that are, um, you know, more likely to get the disease and still trying to work. You know, so we've put some other um, programs in place to try to help those folks. Um, You know, on the, the social justice, we actually put together a full equality plan for Tile. Um, you know, we always had a diversity, inclusion, and belonging plan, you know, that we've been driving for the past couple of years. But then when all the social justice concerns came up, it was clear we needed corporate social responsibility as well. So, you know, we put together a tiger team and came up with a full equality plan, you know, that we just shared with our board. And, you know, they were very happy with it. And we are going to continue reporting back to the board um, on that and making sure that we're, we're doing our part. Um, you know, and then finally with, you know, the fires and things like that, I mean, I, I just always reach out personally, you know, and just, you know, how are you? What does your family need? You know, how can we help you? Um, and really just try to keep things as open and transparent as possible. Um, and just let people know we care for them. You know, I know that personally you've reached out to me and consulted with me on various issues and I can see, I can feel in your love of the people who work for you that you really do care. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, uh, to circle back to the idea of a tiger team, I I don't know what that is. Oh, well, I mean, it's (laughs) essentially a people that have passion around a particular topic. And um, so we we pull them together and say, you know what, you've got passion here, I want you to lead it. And so usually what'll happen is, you know, there'll be somebody that'll speak up in an all hands, for example, and say, you know what, I really care about this thing, right? And I'm like, great. So I will follow up with them and say, I see that passion. Let me help you channel it, right? In, in the right way that can really help the company to drive whatever initiative is important. And then I'll do a call out to other people. Who else is interested in this? And then that's how we, we pull together a team and, and get it done. And I personally love doing that um, because, first of all, I love to help people, especially those that maybe are more junior who haven't had a chance to like drive a spe- special project or, or lead you know, a big team to, to an outcome, you know, to really help them to understand what that's like. So then when they're ready to do it, you know, for something more specifically tied to their job, they have the experience. And, you know, and this is one of the ways that we help people get on the job experience that maybe they wouldn't normally get, you know, from a typical kind of learning scenario. Because we, I don't know if you've heard of the 70-20-10 adult learning theory. Have Tell me about heard, it. Have you heard? So, so this is how we, we think about development. So we want 70% of your learning to be on the job, you know, 20% of your learning to be more informal growth, and then 10% to be formal, so to speak. So the 70% would be things like, you know, taking on the leadership of a tiger team, for example, or maybe, um, you know, getting something new added to your job so you can learn how to do it every day, or maybe expanding your role a bit, or maybe you try a different role and you learn to grow. Then the 20%, which are kind of the formal growth, you know, we have a tile mentoring program that we care a lot about, or, you know, peer-to-peer mentoring, or people get a chance to go on a podcast like this, (laughs) you know, and talk about what they do. And then 10% would be something like e-learning or going to a conference or maybe a formal class at a university. So what we try to do is, is have all of that be a part of someone's development. We train the managers in how to do it. And then, you know, it's like going to the gym. You know, if you go to the gym 90% of the week, you're going to look a lot better than you do if you go to the gym 10% of the week, right? Or the year, 
right? So you that's totally how I, I'm just uh, laughing because I mean, you and I have I, I have not done a 23 and me with you, but you and I oh. have got to be cousins because we think so very much alike. <laughs> so one of my big ideas, I call it the dot com to dot edu. Basically, that everybody should consider their job a very well paid internship at which they are learning and geeking out all the time. 100%. And if you can just have that learner's mindset while you're earning, you know, of course, a professional or you know company paid salary and you you recognize that you're learning and that you're earning more intelligence you're you're going right? to the, you're basically looking at, at at your job as a gym just like you said absolutely the company benefits and the employee benefits and you've basically and harnessed that idea through the 70 20 10 of the ot uh, of the uh, on the job experience the informal the formal that's just that's brilliant well, I can't, I can't take credit for it. I just, <laughs> I just put it in place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it definitely works. And, and, and I think for people in Silicon Valley, you know, back to your point about how is it different here? You know, people don't just want a job to have a job, right? You know, they want to build their skill sets. They want to learn. They want to have an impact. I learned a lot of this at Facebook, you know? Um, I mean, cause that was really the, you know, Stuart Crab and, you know, and some other folks, you know, there that created Big fan, by the way, Stuart Crab. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, amazing. Out. You know, that did a, a magical culture at Facebook in the great days, you know, when I was there back in the day, um, you know, that that was a huge part of, of what drew people there is, yeah. you know, that ability to have high impact, to be able to learn, to be your authentic self. I mean, all of those things really, really matter, especially to knowledge workers. Absolutely. And I just interviewed Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, who basically was talking about the same ideas mm -hmm. that you're that you're talking about. And both of your corporate experiences are kind of consistent with the track record of the Golden State Warriors. I mean, this is a winning oh, yes. formula and it seems to be sustainable. Attrition is low. Retention is high. Everybody's happier while they're there. It's not the old idea of misery loves company is actually not true. It's misery loves miserable company. And uh, oh so if you, have, if you can keep that toxicity out of the system as much as possible, and I'm wondering, I'm sure that in spite of the fact that you please most of the people a great deal of the time, you don't please them all of the time. Very what true. When you've got some, some, somebody, uh, somebody, expressing something that is either a complaint or perhaps even worse, something that's actually toxic and that may be yes. forming a team. What do you, how do you attempt? Oh yeah. I mean, of course that happens. Um, you know, throughout my career, there's, there's always been issues like that. And for me, you know, the most important thing is to hear them out, you know, like really truly try to understand where they're coming from and then be really honest with them about, you know, what's happening, you know, what the issue is and maybe how they are not being as productive as they could be you know, in the way that they're handling this. And, you know, one of the things that I also have in our onboarding is around communication. And, you know, I ask people right out of the gate, you know what, if you have an issue, put it on the table, right? Don't harbor it. Don't talk about it behind people's back. Don't use the water cooler in a negative way, right? We, if you have an issue, we create a safe enough environment where you can speak up and you can speak up safely without any retaliation. We want you to speak up. But then you also have to come with a solution, right? And awesome. You <laughs> and, awesome. And, yeah. And, you know, and you, you've got to find the win-win, right? And definitely not bringing it up and keeping it behind your, you know, talking about things behind somebody's back is not positive at all. So, you know, my CEO, um, CJ, he has this idea that he always talks about, you know, he wants fountains, not drains. So... <laughs> You know, we want fountains of ideas. We want fountains of positivity and, and drains don't help us in any way. So if you've, if you've got something that's a concern to you, bring it up and let's resolve it. Um, and you know, and sometimes I'll have to say to pe people like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, this doesn't work for you, but here are the reasons that we made these decisions. And I'll be very clear and honest with them about why. I mean, I know, you know, when we make decisions, we do it ethically and, you know, with integrity and, and that really matters. Um, and I will explain that and, you know, they can decide that they want to get on board or, you know, they can disagree and commit or, you know, they can be unhappy and maybe they decide, you know, the company's not the place for them, but, you know, we're very thoughtful, you know, in the way that we try to handle these things. And, and I always treat everybody with respect. That, that's the other thing that's that. that is super important to me is being as respectful as possible, no matter the circumstance. I love that. So I want to go back to something you just said that caused me to clap. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was don't just show up with problems, show up with solutions. And I remember learning that early. I, I was before I was a psychologist, I was in the corporate sector in both the US and Japan. And one of the things I learned very early on is if you're going to talk to your boss, don't just tell them the problem or her the problem. Come up with one solution, perhaps multiple solutions is even better. And I think that's a great piece of wisdom. I'm wondering, you have accrued a lot of wisdom over the years. And I'm wondering, like, what are some very simple things that can make employees more outstanding if they put them into practice on the regular? Sure. The biggest thing that comes to my mind is be honest. You know, be honest about where you're succeeding. Be honest about where you're struggling. You know, be honest about where you need help. You know, because all of these things that, that people try to sweep under the rug always end up coming back to bite them or end up, you know, derailing a project or their career. So, you know, it's always so much better to just be honest and just say, you know what, manager, boss, whoever, like, I could really use your help here. Great. Let, let me see how I can help you. Um, you know, I would, I would much rather have somebody come to me and say, I'm struggling than have them not tell me and have a project fail that they knew was going to fail all along. Right. I mean, because then you got a big mess to clean up. Um, and then also the other thing is, you know, do it, do it early, do it often. Right. Um, that's the other thing, you know, you don't want to wait, especially cause we're all moving at the speed of light here, you know, in Silicon Valley, trying to get projects out. We're trying to manage all these, you know, multifunctional teams with, you know, people coming from various skill sets, all trying to bring it together, you know, to make a beautiful convergence, you know, of music. Um, and if there's one thing that's out of place and somebody's hiding something, that creates a lot of problems, sure. um, especially if you wait till the last minute. Yep. So again, you know, honesty early and often. I love it. And what if they're working in a culture that doesn't really believe in honesty, where they actually are afraid? What if yes. it's one of these, what, what then? Ay, ay, ay. Well, I mean, that, that is a really unfortunate situation. If somebody is working in a culture where they feel fear. Um, and you know, my, my first uh, thing would be to say, if you can get out of that culture, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is not a good culture. You know, that is not a place where you're going to thrive. I mean, yep. absolutely not. Now, of course, not everybody is in Silicon Valley. Not everybody has the choices that we have. You know, we all have a lot of choices, you know, to be able to work in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, if you are really feeling fear, um, you know, hopefully you have an HR department, you know, that you can go to that you feel safe talking to and you can let them know what the issues are and they can help you to be able to figure out how to navigate that situation. I mean, that's, that's what HR is, is there for, you know, to help you do that. Um, you know, some people still don't feel that comfortable. And if that's the case, you know, try to find somebody that you can confide in, in, in the company that can give you some good advice for what is the best way to deal with the person who's creating the fear. Um, I personally, nothing drives me crazier than bullies, um, mm. bullies in the workplace, bullies at home, um, bullies anywhere. Yeah. Um, I really can't stand it. And, um, you know, so they need to be put down is basically how I feel. And so, you know, find, find somebody in the culture that can really help you with, with that bully. Um, it's a problem. That's great. And if they do need to find a way out the door. A lot of people are really reluctant to look. A lot of people are overwhelmed by the prospect of looking. There are many ways to look these days. And I'm wondering what, and one of the things that I learned from a CEO back in my corporate days is the person with more fishing lines in more streams of water or bodies of water, I should say, is more likely to catch more fish. And I think the same is true when it comes to job searching. What are some really great ways to look into a, a new job? Oh, yeah. I mean, networking, of course, um, is always important. And that can be as simple as, you know, reaching out to somebody that you admire and just saying, hey, you know, I love what you've, what you've done with your career. Um, I'm interested in XYZ. Might we be able to have a quick Zoom coffee? Um, or, you know, looking around LinkedIn, you know, is, I mean, what a great tool. You know, Such that's, a great tool. that's, and Glassdoor is a great tool. I mean, there's just a lot out there right now. I mean, when you and I had to start looking for jobs back in the day, Adam, you know, it, it was a very different animal, you know, than it is today. I mean, now you can very easily Google, 
you know, uh, people that you might be looking for or associations that you might be able to make a connection with or your university and what they might be able mm. to help you with. I mean, there's, there's so many ways. Um, and I think the biggest thing is be curious, right? I mean, you might, I mean, listen to this. One day, this was years ago, I was standing in line at the grocery store <laughs> in Saratoga and who's next to me, but Patty McCord, who I didn't even, I didn't even know at the time. She's the <laughs> woman who came up with the whole Netflix culture, that, that manifesto that Sheryl Sandberg said is the, is the greatest culture document that's ever hit Silicon Valley. I'm standing in line with her at the grocery store and just decided to start chatting with her and, you know, learned a bit about Netflix in the early days and, you know, and what she was up to. And then all of a sudden she's this, she's this icon and guru, right? Amazing. So, I mean, especially here, you know, you, you just never know who you're going to meet. And I think it's always good to have your elevator pitch ready in terms of like, what are you looking for? Who are you? What are you about? And if you end up in a grocery line with somebody amazing, you can tell them who you are and what you're looking for. Um, you know, you have to always be ready. I think that's brilliant. And one of the things I frequently have to disabuse people of is the idea that people will feel put upon if you ask them for an introduction. They might, but more often than not, they are complimented at least that's been my experience that you're asking for help. And is that consistent with your findings that reaching out to people is actually a positive? Yeah. I mean, I, I think for the most part it is, but I think you also have to plan ahead, you know? So if you see somebody that maybe, maybe you worked with 15 years ago or 10 years ago or something, and they show up in your LinkedIn, maybe say, hello, how are you? How have you been? I'd like to stay in touch. I enjoyed working with you. And, and so you just kind of keep the network going and then there might be a time down the road where you need to reach out to that person or you have somebody to refer to them or you might need their advice on something. And so if there are people that, that you kind of had the warm fuzzies for or you really enjoyed working with them or they had an impact on your life and your career, stay in touch. You know, it, it makes people feel good. Right. And, so, and it, it's helpful. So they finally get the interview. What is the biggest strength a person can bring to an interview and what mm -hmm. is the biggest belly flop? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest strength is bring yourself, be yourself. Um, there, there was an interview that I went on. Um, I will not name the company, um, <laughs> but it, I was talking to their CEO and in the middle of the interview, I realized I was not the right person for her. You know, I just wasn't. And, you know, for what, she was looking for, for what I was looking for. And I think that's important to remember is that it's, it's as much about what you're looking for and your happiness, as well as the company finding that you're the right candidate. And in the middle of the interview, I said to her, I said, you know what? I said, I think I have the perfect person for you for this job. And she said, what? She said, not you. And I said, no, I said, I don't think it's me. I said, you know, here's what I'm hearing that you need. And this is not exactly my sweet spot. But boy, is there somebody that I know that I think would be fantastic for you. And she said, she goes, what? She, she said, you're in an interview and you're telling me that you don't want this job? And I said, yeah. And she said, why would you do that? And I said, because I want to be happy. You want to be happy. I want to see you be successful and me be successful. And I know somebody who I think would love this job and I'd love to help them. And she was like, wow, I've never seen anyone do that before. And I was like, That's wow. Here, here it is, um, you know, because you got to do, you got to be your authentic self and do what's right for you as, as much as try to get the job. Fantastic. And what is the biggest belly flop? The biggest belly flop? I mean, I yeah, think, a common you know, one that you see. Sure. I mean, the biggest belly flop I see is if somebody goes in and they, you know, do a song and dance and they tell a story and, you know, they get the job, but then get in place and can't do it. You know, you've wasted the company's time. You've wasted your own time. You're, you're creating a very expensive mistake for the company. So, you know, go in and be yourself and, you know, and find the job that's going to play to your strengths and give you energy, you know, as much as is going to be the right fit for the company. I can say firsthand that everything you've just described, I did uh, in terms of the belly flop and you are a hundred percent right. So, uh, I salute yeah. you on that one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that is uh, brilliant. Um, wondering what training I know you, you, you really do believe in the trainings. Uh, you do, uh, put them in a place. What trainings have you found to be most helpful in a general sense? Like if, if a person was going to learn how to 
be better. Obviously, there are some that are specific to the job, but there are some that just kind of are overarching to just being a better part of a working community or better at what you do. What are some of the trainings? What are some of the, uh, yeah, what are some of the uh, formal learnings that you find to be most helpful to employees in general? You know what I think is most important is to really understand who you are and where you are. Um, and so there's some great 360 tools that are out there, like Tilt, 3, Tilt 365 is one of them that I really like, that will help you to understand you know, how you're showing up as a leader. And what's really cool about it is you rate yourself, you have your peers rate you, you have your manager rate you, you have even your friends rate you, you can have your CEO rate you, you know, whatever. And then it all shows up on this, what looks like a spider web grid. And so you can see where the disconnects are between how you perceive yourself and how the others perceive you. And then you can figure out, okay, now I get it. Here's where, how I'm showing up. Here's how they think I'm showing up. Let me figure out how I close this gap. And then that's when you put together a learning plan that'll actually help you to be able to target the things you really need. Oh. You know, I mean, because otherwise you're just going to kind of be going out there saying, well, I guess I need this. I, I guess. I mean, it's much better to be sure. Um, and have real data and evidence that show you and then create a learning plan that really helps you close some gaps that'll guide you to, to, to success. So you're talking about really having a great mirror. And I'm remembering the very first time I saw myself on, this was back when videotape was a thing. And I had thought of myself as a really good public speaker. And I saw myself conducting a meeting. And I noticed that I was doing several things that were bad. I was using a lot of ums and ahs. I was I had this weird thing where I was rolling up my sleeve all mm. the time. And it was, it was painful. And I imagine there's a lot of pain at, at looking at the spider web from time to time. What mm -hmm. would you tell people as they're, what would, what, if you're coaching them kind of quietly behind okay. or next to them saying, Hey, listen, here's how you take this information in without being hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How would you say, how would you, how would you guide them? Well, first of all, you might be surprised at where you're better than you think, right? Mm, so yeah. don't forget about that part. Um, <laughs> you know, I've often seen where people really underrate themselves and their manager and their peers um, think they're great. Um, and so that can really be a confidence booster. So, there, so there's that side of it. But then there's always the, you know what? None of us are perfect. None of us. Um, all of us have opportunities. And to just be able to accept like, okay, I got, I got this. But you know what else I have? I have a way to fix it. And I have a way to close this gap. And, and you know what? If I do this, I'm going to be better. I'm going to grow. And I'm going to feel more confident in myself, right? And so that's a wonderful thing to know. It's so much better than going through life with blinders on and, and just continuing to perpetuate bad behavior, you know, that gets you nowhere. Um, so, so that's what I would say. That's some. great. And have said it. <laughs> Many no, I, I imagine. <laughs> so let's talk for a second about this idea of work-life balance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does it exist? If not, what would be a good alternative? Yeah. Well, I don't think there's work-life balance. I really don't. Um, but, but what I do think is possible is work-life effectiveness. Um, so figuring out those strategies, you know, for how you can be effective at home and be effective at work. And there are going to be some days where you're more effective in one or the other, or some days where you totally blow it in both places, um, or some days where you're like, damn, I have got this nailed. I'm <laughs> doing it all. So, um, you know, so it's definitely going to ebb and flow. Um, I do think uh, it falls on women uh, a lot more, uh, where they tend to have to kind of balance the work and home a lot because they tend to be the ones that are the caregivers for children or elders. Um, I think it is better. You know, you do see many more men stepping up in, in sort of hetero couples. And then of course, if you're, you know, in a same sex couple, you know, who, who knows might be a, more better with half and half. But I mean, I think you really have to negotiate it. Um, I think the companies really have to realize that some, like right now, especially there's a lot of data out there of women thinking about leaving the workforce because somebody has to stay home and take care of their families, you know, especially in the situation that we're in now where there's not enough childcare, where people are trying to balance school and work. Um, I think I saw something that said like in April, maybe six or 7% of women were thinking about leaving the workforce. And now that we're as far as we are into this pandemic, I believe the number was something around 27% of women thinking about leaving the workforce now because they can't make the balance work. 
Um, and again, you know, it's impossible. You have to figure out how you can be effective. So for example, as I was saying before, you know, my company is trying to put in place and has put in place some programs to try and support working families as much as we can. You know, so, so for example, you know, certain times on the calendars where there are absolutely no meetings, you know, we make sure like if like 12 to one, that's the time when the family's having lunch, don't disturb them, let, let them feed their children, you know, let them take care of the elders during that time. Or, you know, certain times in the week where there's absolutely no meetings, you know, so they can take care of whatever they might need to there, you know, getting a membership to care.com, for example, for people so they can easily find nannies and housekeepers and tutors and, you know, pet sitters and, you know, whatever else people might need. I mean, we, we really need to do more to help people figure out how to be effective in those areas because there's no separation anymore. You know, there really isn't a separation. It would be so calamitous if 27% of the workforce yes. was to just say, I'm done. It would. I can't even imagine what would happen. So what, I love the, I mean, you came up with very good advice, actionable advice for HR right. departments to take notice. These are some things that, these are some tools that might help employees mm -hmm. uh, do their job and have work-life effectiveness. Right. And um, I'm wondering, a lot of companies, I'm sure, are rather pennywise and pound foolish, mm -hmm. and they don't invest in certain programs. What programs do you know of that uh, can often uh, really generate a big ROI, a big yep. effect on employees' well-being? Flexible work, by far. Whoa, Doesn't cost the thing. <laughs> Doesn't cost the thing. And, you know, to allow somebody to manage their schedule, to allow somebody to work from where it's best for them. Um, you know, of course, there's some rules around that. You know, you need to be available. You know, you need to be communicative. Um, but other than that, you know, if you're meeting your deadlines and you're communicating, do it any way you want to. Um, you know, I don't, I don't need to be counting cars and parking lots and, you know, sitting at the door, seeing who's coming and going at what time. I don't care. Um, you know, you're an adult. I trust you, you know, to get your work done. Um, so do that. And then uh, enjoy your life. I mean, our, our Tile Flex program is called, um, so it's Tile Flex, you know, enjoy your work, enjoy your life, um, you know, do, be happy. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Enjoy your, enjoy your work, enjoy your, your home, be happy. Um, and, and that's essentially what we want. Um, and we just did a survey recently. And the thing that people wanted the most was continue to work flexibly. That's really what they need. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Having worked in both environments, I, I would agree wholly. Can you just explain why that is so important from where you sit? Why giving people flexibility? Yes, I, I mean, it seems rather intuitive, but I want to hear from an authority. Why is that oh, so gosh. important? Well, you know, number one, because we should trust people. We should start with trust, right? And, and that is one of our values at Tile. It's our first value, you know, start with trust. We should assume good intent in totally. all people. Um, and you know, you give people confidence, you're going to get positivity back, you know? So I, so I think that that's really important. Um, I think number two is we should assume that people know what they're doing. We hired you because you're smart. We hired you because you bring strengths to the company. You know, we hired you because we know you can add to our company. So let us let you do that in a way that works best for you. You know, I always talk to my son, uh, Noah, I mean, this works well with parenting too, about freedom in a framework, Right. And so I give him sort of this very broad framework in which he can be himself and show his strengths and succeed in lots of different ways. But he also has to be safe and he also has, has to communicate and he also has to hold high standards, you know, for himself and in terms of how he conducts himself, you know, at school and with his friends and all of that. But how he decides to solve things and how he decides to do things, um, he, he can choose. And it's the same thing when you're at work. Um, and I think that that's really important, you know, giving people freedom and treating them like the responsible adults that they are. And, you know, it, and if work's not getting done or somebody's not meeting deadlines, then that's a whole different matter. You know, like that's a performance concern. And so, sure, we, we would take care of that. But that doesn't mean you shut down flexible work, right? I mean, because most people are able to do it. And those that can't, you, you look at how they're performing and you manage the performance if that's the issue.
That's brilliant. You know, there are four different types of parents. There's the neglectful parent, there's the permissive parent, there's the authoritative parent, and then there's the authoritarian. A lot of people think authoritative is the bad one. Actually, authoritative yeah. is good. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the authoritarian that's bad. That's the bully, my right. way on the highway. Um, and what we've found is that when people are neglectful, oh, it portends very badly. When people are overly permissive, pretends rather badly right. um, that you're not right. friends with your child. You're still the parent. Right. And but when you're authoritative, you're like a good coach. You realize exactly. I'm on your team. We're working together. We're coordinating. I'm going to be flexible with you. I'm going to find ways to set you up for success. And very similar to parenting is the leadership style that you espouse with that kind of flexibility. I think that's just fantastic. Before I get to my last question, Lisa. Sure, sure. Is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't yet asked? Well, bias is a really important area that I think a lot mm. of us are talking about right now and how to make sure that you're managing your bias properly. And it ends up hitting in a lot of different places, you know, and how you hire, you know, and how you make decisions about who gets work in terms of how you make decisions about who you promote. Um, and, and it also really helps to make sure that you're keeping yourself in check. I mean, you know, what did Biggie Smalls said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really true. Um, so it's, you know, the, the companies that think that they don't have bias problems and walk around saying that are the ones that usually end up having the most right. because they're not checking. Right. And so I think it's really, really important to make sure that you're, you're training around managing unconscious bias that you ask the question in meetings, like if you're trying to decide who to hire, if you hear anything that might sound at any at all like bias, make sure you ask the question, wait a minute, what did you mean by that? Can you clarify? Um, so we, we really wanna make sure that we're, we're awarding people opportunities based on merit and trying to get bias out of the way. And the only way you're gonna do that is to understand what your biases are and keep them in check. What are some common biases? There's actually several different kinds of bias. So for example, like attribution bias. So you tend to attribute, you know, with men, you, you tend to think, oh, well, sure, they might not have all that experience, but we're going to give him a chance to grow into the role. Whereas with women, you know, you might say, well, she hasn't really proven herself yet. You know, we're going to need to make sure she has three to five more years of this and that before we give her that chance, right? Or there's the mother penalty, you know, where, you know, a woman, perhaps she has children, so she has to leave to go home, you know, to make dinner for her kids. Um, and so they're like, oh, gosh, well, she left early again. And then the father goes home. They're like, oh, my gosh, what a great father. Look totally. at him leaving early to go have dinner with his kids. You know, so there's always these kinds of things or or and crying maybe, is another one. Like when the woman cries, it's unacceptable. When the man exactly. cries, he's brave. Yeah, sure. exactly. He's showing his feelings. <laughs> um, so, and then of course, for, for people of color, you know, this, this whole idea of like, oh, we have to lower the bar. No, you don't. Um, you know, what you have to do is, is keep a high bar and widen your funnel for candidates to make sure that you're bringing as many candidates into the funnel, the hiring funnel with as much uh, differentiation as you possibly can. So you can find that person who's underrepresented, right? So and bring them in. Um, and nothing bothers me more than when I hear, you know, a, a white male engineer say, oh, well, I guess we have to lower the bar to bring a woman in, or we have to lower the bar, you know, to bring a person of color in. They, they could not be more wrong. I um, completely agree. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that we know is that diversity actually is a really powerful uh, component to a team, even on the neurodiversity front. I just interviewed mm -hmm. Temple Grandin, who was talking about oh, yes. people who come in perhaps on the spectrum and the autistic spectrum and right. uh, how, how much stronger a team gets when they have somebody who can actually see something that a neurotypical might miss. Right. Um, and having somebody from a different culture saying, listen, if you, if you, do, if you create the Chevy Nova and you try to sell <laughs> yeah, it no to go. Mexico, uh, it's not going to sell. Right. <laughs> so uh, it would have it behooved Chevrolet at that time to have had somebody who could have perhaps given a different marketing direction to that car. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm Absolutely. with you 100%. Yeah. And it's one of the things that we ask our managers to do is to make sure that when they're building a team, they're thinking about diversity. And so it's diversity of skill set, diversity of background. Um, and, you know, really make sure that we're, we are reflecting our customer base, right? That's, that's super important too. Hmm. This was pretty thorough and really fun, Adam. So. Ooh, okay. So then you get to, and then I get to ask you the magical okay. question. Okay. 
So Lissa, you see people at their best, you see people at their worst and everything in between. Mm -hmm. If you had the magical abilities and could confer one skill on all of your employees to increase the likelihood of their success, as well as the company in general, what would that skill be? To be humble. Um, (coughs) that's, That's the thing that I've seen in the Valley the most that has been the comeuppance of many um, is when people let their ego get out of control or they get too big for their britches or they start treating people badly because they start to think they're better than everyone else. Um, eventually that does get them. Um, and, and I've even seen it in myself, you know, like sometimes if I, if I get a little too big for my britches, I have to have a little chat you know, with myself <laughs> and just say, you know, calm it down get clear on, on where you are, be humble, be grateful. Um, and, and you're always going to have a much better outcome, um, than somebody who's walking around this Valley, you know, thinking that they're better than everybody else. I mean, first of all, nobody's going to work with them. Second of all, um, they're never going to hear any innovative ideas because they're only going to think that their ideas are the best. So they're going to miss opportunities. Um, and I think third, you know, eventually they're going to make a mistake, you know, because everybody makes mistakes and they're going to make a, a mistake in a way that could potentially ruin their career. And I, I think we've seen that quite a bit, um, you know, when somebody gets exposed for maybe not having the integrity that we thought they did or, you know, for treating people um, disrespectfully um, or just, you know, just fr- frankly lying, you know, about, about what they're actually building or doing. So um, to me, you know, having humility, being humble, respectful of other people is the most critical thing. And, you know, I'm going to add something to what you just said, because you said it indirectly, Okay. be authentic mm-hmm. and humble. And uh, is what I'm also kind of hearing you say. Is that, is that fair? Unless you're an authentic asshole. <laughs> fair <laughs> then enough. Then don't be that. <laughs> then don't be that. Uh, be, be, be kind. You know, yes, be kind. I, and, and I'm just going to even go with the idea of, it's almost like you supercharge your humility when you catch yourself in the action of not being humble. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, you know, a cognitive pushup of recognizing Mm. you become even more, you become strengthened in a way by, by recognizing it. So I think just the mere act of recognition and, and, and changing course is a really powerful thing. So I love that idea, Alyssa. I love what you brought up. Everything you shared, I think the listener will be far smarter than they were when they first turned on this episode as employees, as friends of employees, as colleagues. I'm just so grateful to you, Lissa, for sharing your wisdom. Oh, you are so kind, Adam. And I love your show. And I'm so happy to be able to be here and wishing you so much success. Right back at you. Thank you. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening, share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe. 